Ronananian. Just because it runs well isn't a testament to the minuteness of the problem. It's a testament to the power of the computers that are controlling the cars today. Mechanically, the computer is flawless. The Car Doctor. For every day that check engine lights on, regardless of the fault code, you're allowing the vehicle to run in some sort of less than perfect software condition. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. And if they don't, join me. I'm Ronnie Nanny and the Car Doctor. Let's get under the hood this hour and talk about your car and its problems and uh, make sure that that engine does start and run like it's supposed to. The phone number here in the garage is 855-560-9900. Give us a call. Keep in mind that's 24-7. That's right. You can call 855-560-9900. And if I'm not here, although I usually am, you can leave a message, and we will call you back. Our producer will call you back and uh, hook you up and uh, put you in queue for the next live show. We are live on the network Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, that is, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, and uh, then we go out on the network accordingly. But uh, you can also, if you're podcasting, if you're a podcaster, and we love you podcasters, you guys are really helping us, and, um, you know, you can call in at 855-560-9900, even if we're not in your market. If you're a podcaster, we're not. And uh, judging by some of the podcasters, I don't think we'll ever be in the market on uh, traditional radio stations like Dubai, Australia, London, um, Ireland. We got, we've gotten some podcast questions, and we've gotten, actually, we actually had a call from Ireland and Australia not too long ago. Um, we've gotten uh, comments from Africa. We've gotten comments from Russia. So we are, um, I guess we are worldwide. Um, soon to be, I wonder if they'll put us on the Mars probe and we can uh, be out of this planet. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, no, Tom. Okay, I'll move on. Let's, um, where do I want to start? Well, <laughs> I just woke up from a nap, so I'm really fired up and ready to go here. It's like, yeah, let's go do radio. Uh, and then I had to come in and see Tom and Tony in the other room, but that's okay. It doesn't really matter. So they're um, they're lamenting their uh, giant status this weekend. They're uh, they're claiming that the Super Bowl doesn't mean anything to them, but I know in true NFL fashion they're going to have a comment, and here it is. Go Atlanta. We hate the Patriots. Yes. Okay. Sorry for our listeners in Boston, but, so, you know, sorry. Yeah, okay. I just wanted to listen. And I have no – see, I have no sports um, – I have no agenda here. Okay, I just want that to be known because I kind of look at it as sports are all about it's like baseball, and I say this all the time. We can make this a baseball, football, automotive conversation. In a baseball game, and it doesn't matter. He'll make it a Super Bowl conversation. Tomorrow, Atlanta's going to take the field. New England's going to take the field. Somebody's going to lose. Somebody's going to pay to watch them lose. If I go to work Monday and I lose, nobody's paying me, and that's the problem. And, you know, people are paying for the nosebleed seats Four thousand dollars for the privilege of watching somebody lose. Uh, it's just it boggles my mind when you when you think <laughs> about it. Oh, it just uh, like whew, really. Anyway, so this is the car doctor. I want to start off a real quick story, um, just to give you a piece of information. Maybe you're new to the show, and you know what's this guy all about? Is he nuts? Is he sane? Is he somewhere in between? Get out to Facebook. Go out to the Ron and Annie, the Car Doctor Facebook page, and I guarantee you, there's no political agenda out there because we don't get political on Facebook. We don't. I don't get political in my personal profile on Facebook. I don't really care anymore. Um, I'm I'm past all this. But if you get out to the Car Doctor Facebook page, 
posted a video this week that talks about, well, I'll explain it like this. A 2010 Cadillac SRX came into the shop, and this was Monday. The headlight on the right side didn't work. Customer said, well, it needs a bulb. Put a bulb in it. Yeah, I don't, you know, Joe, I got to diagnose it. It may not be a bulb. No, no, it needs a bulb. Put a bulb in it. HID bulb. What else could it be? All right, so we'll take it apart. We'll look at it. We'll see, you know, does this need a bulb? Now, I should point out, too, that the inside of the headlight was wet. It had moisture in it. Okay, just drill a hole down on the bottom of the, okay, so we'll drill a hole in the bottom of the corner. We'll let the water out. We'll get a water letter outer, and um, we'll, we'll do it that way. Well, oh, and I didn't tell you this part. The, the, the other problem was because should we replace the headlight, the headlamp assembly for a 2010 Cadillac SRX, $1,200, almost $1,300. I forget the exact, it was $1,200, $1,300. It was 13 something for a headlamp assembly. Now, you know, you sit there and I come from the day when headlights were six bucks, eight bucks, round, three screws, put them in, get the aimers out. Now it's $1,300. It's an entire composite assembly. It's got an electric motor that you can, when you reach in from the back to take the bulb, you can pivot the motor left, right, up, down. It is what Preston Tucker tried to create in that movie, or, well, back in the 40s, but you saw it in the movie when he said he was going to make cars with headlights that turned. It is that assembly. It's crazy. $1,300. No, let's just, okay. And in order to do the headlamp assembly, you've got to take the bumper off the car. And I tell you this story, and I did a little video. It's out on Facebook, and you'll see the picture of it, the size of it, and get the gist of it. I tell you this story, if you're a new listener to The Car Doctor, if you're an old listener, I'm glad to have you. But if you're a new listener, because that repair signifies and typifies what this industry and this radio show is about. I'm trying to teach you about the changes. I'm not trying to teach you just how to fix a car, and I'll do that if you give me the chance. But I'm trying to teach you about the changes. People are stunned to hear $1,300 for a headlamp assembly to repair a headlamp. Because the problem was it's HID, high-intensity discharge bulbs. The ballast went bad inside the lamp. Okay, fine. Let's put a ballast in it. The ballast is $400. you still got to take the bumper off to get to it. you still got to take the headlamp out. And when you're done, it's still got moisture in the headlight, so you still got to put a headlight in it so it doesn't matter. This radio show is all about change. This radio show is all about fixing your car different then maybe your mom or dad taught you how to fix a car or have a car repaired back in the day because it is so different. I was having lunch yesterday, uh, Friday, and during lunch, a friend of mine, Kevin Smith, popped in. First time I'd met Kevin. I've, I've spoken to Kevin. Oh, I speak to Kevin probably a dozen times a year over the past four or five years. We've gotten to know each other. He works at a dealership down the road. I have never met Kevin prior to yesterday, and we keep saying, yeah, you know, we're going to get to know each other. We kind of kibitz back and forth and talk about problems and cars and, hey, have you seen this? Have you seen that? And we exchange information, and we go back and forth. And he walked in yesterday during lunch, big strapping guy, and um, it, it, was, it was a great conversation. It was, just, it was just great to hear from another technician at the same level, I consider, clearly, 
and him saying, yeah, it's changing fast. It's just changing too fast. And we're both the same age, so we've been in this the same amount of time. And he said, you know, it just makes you wonder, can you keep up? And his reference wasn't towards me as the independent repair shop. His reference was towards the dealership. Can the dealership keep up? He's their trans man at the local Chevy dealer. He does a lot of their trans work and heavy engine work right now, and he's, he's, he does it all. But this is what they put him into because, obviously, it's so difficult, and they need somebody with some smarts to do it. And he said, you know, I'm looking at, you know, never mind four-speed transmissions, five-speed, six-speed. Now they've got eight- and nine-speed automatic transmissions coming at me. And he said, you know, the position of training is here's the CD, study it, and then you'll know how to fix it. Because there's no time anymore. There's no time for the changes because the changes are coming so fast. You can't keep up. And I thought about the Cadillac. I thought about the headlight. We all have our different levels of can't keep up. We all have our different levels of change coming at us in life, in school, in cars. It's no different. The technology that's out there around the environment is just staggering. I took mom to lunch or breakfast today, and we were driving down this one country road, and she was talking about when we moved into our family home 40 years ago in New Jersey, and she said, boy, it was a lot like a day like today. And I remember it. We opened the door, the front door to the house. It was a double Dutch door. We opened the front door to the house, and we let the air in, and and it snowed three days later, and we realized that we were out in the country and how cold it was, she said. But it was just so calm and peaceful. And I looked at her, and I said, yeah, it was kind of a gentler time, wasn't it, Mom? And out of, you know, from the mouths of babes and mothers, she said, yeah, but things weren't so crazy because, she said, computers weren't so predominant. They, weren't even, they were just a thought in somebody's eye back in the 60s. And I went, yeah, you know what? Technology. It's just, it's just pouring in on us. And it's got us all looking over our shoulder. So if you want to learn a little bit about technology, stick around. I'm Ron Anany, The Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. We're coming back after this. Kick those garage doors wide open. They put a parking lot on a piece of land. Where the supermarket used to stand Before that they put up a bowling alley Hey, welcome back. Ron and the car doctor rolling along this hour at 855-560-9900. Let's get open and get ready and open those garage doors. Let's go over to John Biloxi, Mississippi. And uh, what's going on with this 90 Chevy Cavalier? John, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? John, are you there? John. John once. John twice. John's gone. Okay, let's go over to, is John gone? John's gone. So let's go over to, let's go talk to Micah in Maine and 2015 Subaru. Micah, are you there? I'm right here, Ron. I wouldn't desert you. Hey, there you go, Micah. How are you, babe? What's going on? Doing really good. Doing great. Got a question about my 2015 Subaru Legacy. Okay, and wait a minute, let me just in an aftermarket, go ahead. Put in an aftermarket remote start because the remote start that comes from the factory 
It's really not a very good remote start. It shuts off whenever you open the door. So I went to a very reputable dealer to put this in, a place that's been in business for 30 years, and they put in a great unit, remote start and alarm. Well, what was happening is every so often when uh, I would start the car, I would get an error message on my dashboard telling me that the side rear uh, vision detector system wasn't working. And I'd stop the car, and I'd restart it back up again, and everything would come back great. So I brought it down to my dealership, and they're also very good, very reputable. I trust them. And they said, oh, my God, you got all sorts of codes coming up, but we can't look at it because it looks like you've revised some of the uh, wiring, and until you take that out, we can't look. We can't even diagnose it. So I went back to my uh, installer, and he installed, told the installer what I was told. He said, no problem, we'll take it out. It shouldn't have anything to do with it, which I thought was really fair. Didn't charge me for it, pulled it out. All the codes disappeared. We don't necessarily, I called the manufacturer of the remote start and the iData link, et cetera, and so on, and they said there shouldn't be any codes. It should have, one should have nothing to do with the other. Have not yet reinstalled the remote start, which is something I really do need up here. I have the codes. They're all communication codes. But I'm wondering if you can tell me anything about this or have any idea what's going on because I'm, I really don't want to have any kind of fights between my dealership and my installer. So let me, let me understand this, Micah. The, the, the dealer that installed the remote isn't the Subaru dealer. It's just a dealer for that brand of remote starter. Yes, it is. It's a, it's a high, good quality, well-known stereo and automotive store. Okay. Then, you know what, I've, I've got to say that it sounds like that remote starter dealer is doing the right thing and trying to work through it. Here we go. Here's an example of technology, right? You know, look at, look at what's going on, and I guarantee you the problem from my seat here, I'm going to say it sure sounds like the problem is in the remote start kit, and maybe it's not in the hardware, going on the assumption that the dealer followed the instructions to install it properly, and if it worked, I can't think of how it's not installed properly, but I would be willing to bet that this is a case where technology has overtaken us, and there's an issue either going to be fixed by software or a modification to that kit. I think the I think the onus is on the manufacturer. Yeah. And the manufacturer who I did speak with, and they're very, again, very, very helpful, they said, and one of them happens to own a Subaru, the tech guy that I was talking to, said that those communication codes should not be there with the remote start. Um, now, what I don't, can't figure out why they're there. Now, what I don't understand is, or my first question would be, since you're using name brand national you know, level parts and, and, and manufacturing, are, you can't be the only 2015 Subaru owner that's got this issue. So by now, it's the you know, car's two years old. By now, somebody else has had to have run into it. So, is this problem and unique just I, to it, yours, or is it is it just at this manufacturer? And that would be something else I'd be looking for. What I'm hearing is that I'm the only one, at least from this manufacturer, which is a well-known large corporation. Uh, nobody else with a 2015 Super Legacy has had this problem. The installer has never had any problem like this. I'm getting a code, a B2350, a U0101, a U0122. They're, they're all communication codes of some sort or another. I have no idea what they mean or why they should be there. Right. Well, and communication faults are there. What it's saying is if you've got if you've got five modules in a row, and there's more involved than that in this, trust me, if you've got five modules in a row, here, best example I can give you probably real quick is think about Volkswagens. Volkswagens, 15 years ago, Volkswagen was the predominant problem with this where they would, 
it, you know, if you took the radio out of your Volkswagen and then went in and, you know, you put an aftermarket radio in and then went in and started doing an, a, a scan using a dealer level scan tool, you would see all sorts of error codes and faults because that radio was a central gateway or a central router point to the rest of the system. Without it, it can only the system can only communicate up to where the radio was, but not with what was after it. The rest of those components would work, but the communication chain was broken. So somehow installing this remote start kit is giving the impression that the data communication goes up to that remote start module, but not after. But yet, obviously, the rest of the controllers can still talk to each other because the vehicle still functions. And what the installer, not the installer, rather, the, the manufacturer told me was that what's happening with this particular unit, once it's put in, it's changing the communication from analog to digital and passing it through so that, therefore, the, it's all happening, but the codes may not be seen. Right. And what I'm thinking is, um, I'm thinking you've got to do one of two things. You've either got to go back to the original installer, just ask them to verify all installation, all right, make sure everything is done properly. And maybe before that, take it to Subaru and say, hey, am I current at all software levels of all modules in the vehicle? Just doing the flash, right? Do the flash dance. I've done the latter. Okay. Yep, I've done that, and I'm totally current, totally updated, everything's fine. Then make it's, sure to do that. It's, it's, it's got to be one more round of asking the installer, hey, connect this. And if it doesn't work, then it's obviously not not going to work with that vehicle, and the manufacturer is wrong. Provided the installer is installing it correctly, then you know the onus is now on the manufacturer that his product doesn't work with your particular vehicle. And right, th- and the installer, not only the guy that uh, they, they've been great, not only the guy that I've uh, been dealing with inside the store, but I've talked to the installer himself. He said. Maybe I made a mistake. It's unlikely. It's possible. But when we redo it, I'm going to double-check everything. And he's going to reflash the unit to make sure it's the latest, most updated software. Right. So do that. Do that, Micah. Give me a call back. Let me know what fixes this. And keep in mind, and I know you're aware of this, but there are a lot of forums out there, Subaru forums, that you can go and see what other vehicle owners are going through and maybe somebody else with your unit your manufacturing model has the same particular problem and then get back to us let us know what fixes this because it'll be for everyone's benefit to find out just what it takes to really make this work in this year of subaru thanks for the call i'm ron and the car doctor we're coming back right after this don't go away Welcome back. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Keep in mind that's 24-7. And also, if you are a podcaster and you can, if you have the option, please click subscribe. Now, I think there's some confusion out there. I'm getting some emails from folks. Hey, Ron, we go to your website because if you go to cardoctorshow.com, you can you can podcast from cardoctorshow.com. You can download podcast or listen live right there. You can also listen live. I should point this out too you can if you wish to listen to the live stream of this broadcast saturday afternoons 2 to 4 p.m eastern time you can go to cardoctorshow.com down on the lower left of the main screen there's a link that will take you to the server that uh, streams the radio show right live as it happens you can do that but if you're a podcaster 
you can podcast from cardoctorshow.com. Uh, you know, if you are using, like on your phone, on my phone, I have a podcast application that allows me to podcast because I listen to talk radio too. And I'll click subscribe. You have that option through the player. You don't have that option through the cardoctorshow.com website, just to clear that up. And Tom, maybe we should add that. Is there a way to add that as a subscription? I guess we can't make the website uh, automatically. That would be a whole nother. That would keep you up nights. Well, you know, you need your beauty sleep, trust me. I have to make sure you get some sleep so that won't work. So uh, we'll leave it where it is. Um, anyway, but you can not You can podcast from cardoctorshow.com. You can't subscribe there. You would do that through a player. Excuse me device. while I salute you in the traditional manner. <laughs> yes, sir. I appreciate that. The New Jersey salute, is that what that is? Yeah, so, and for the listeners in California, Texas, Florida, and all points in between, you can only imagine. So let's uh, let's go over and talk to, let's see if John from Biloxi has uh, gotten this yet. John, are you there, sir? Yeah, yeah, okay. now I'm here. Okay, cool beans, you know, bro. I have to, okay, what I got is uh, I'm trying to put a, a two-headlight bulb into a four-headlight system, and uh, I've got the connect. I went to the junkyard and got a connector with the three wires coming out of the back of it. Okay. And I'm I'm I can easily wire it into the the old low beam uh wiring connector and I can get it to come on, that's no problem. But when I turn I'm trying to figure out how I can get it wired in to where I can use both the high and low beams and not just uh have it come on as a low beam. Um I've still got both both the um four headlight bulbs in the car. I'm just not using the high beams anymore. They're just dangling we, behind we, the, we, uh, the we, grill there. We, we talked about this once before, didn't we, John? If memory yeah, serves I me was right. Supposed to go in, I was supposed to go and try to find a bulb that would fit, but they nobody had. This, okay. The guys at the parts store didn't have a bulb that would make it work. So they, it, they couldn't. you're trying to take a two-headlamp, a four-headlamp system and make it into two? Right. All right. So, and I, I can get the. I figured out how to get the low beams to come on. That's that's easy with the with the new the new connector. But I'm trying to figure out how to wire it so I can get high and low beam. Okay. Out so of the, so out how, of, how many wires do you have on on your two headlamp system? You should have three wires on that connector, correct? Right. Okay. I have a, I have a black, a purple, and a red. All right. Well, so one of those is going to be high beam. One of those is going to be low beam because you're using a two filament bulb. Right. Okay. Right. So that being said, on on the old system, the tan was low and the light green was right. high. And then the third leg, which is common, is going to be the ground. Right. So if you take, it's just a matter of, in my mind, it's just going to be a matter of which one comes on with low beam, which one comes on with high beam, uh, this one to the tan, this one to the light green, and the third one is ground. Have you tried wiring it like that? Oh, I, I was, I just, what I had done is I had stripped the wires off the back of the new connector and stuck them in the socket on the on the old um, low beam and messed around with it and got, got power. I could get it to come on low beam, but when I turned the high beams on, it would go off. Right, but because, was, right, if you're, if no, you're going to have to, you're going to have to physically find the light green wire, the tan wire, and the black on the on the car. Okay, I've got it. I've got it. All right. I'm actually out the car now. All right. So the the black is ground. The tan is going okay. to be your feed for the low beam side, and the light green is going to be your feed for the high beam side. Oh, okay. All right. I got you. All right. So it's, it's a lot easier than it's, I right. thought it was. Then. Yeah. It's, 
It's and I mean you can verify that they have a voltmeter or a test light or something that you can verify power and ground. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, I got one of those. Okay. Then you know what? Take the wire that you think is ground. Put your put the negative lead if you have a voltmeter. Take your negative uh, lead or negative side of your voltmeter. Put it to what you think is ground. That way you're testing the ground side. Then turn the low okay. beam. Turn the low beams on. Take the positive probe. Go to the tan wire. You should show voltage. Okay. If you do, then you're right in your sequence in your order. That's low beam. And then the okay. other one that's remaining, the light green, that's high beam. And then repeat that, you know, go into the new lamp assembly. You know where ground is. And then either the high beam is going to be the red or the <laughs> high beam is going to be the other color. I forget what the other color was and vice versa for low beam. Purple. Purple. Yeah. All right. I, so. almost, I almost felt guilty about calling after I heard your story about that Cadillac. No, XRX, that's, that's that's incredible. Now, now you I know, feel so, well, yeah, yeah. And how much were the headlight bulbs for the Cavalier, John? Uh, John? I mean, this will really put it in perspective. Like six or seven dollars, right? So we went from six or seven dollar headlights to thirteen hundred dollars, and that's thirteen hundred a piece. Mm-hmm. You know, I made that's the customer, I, I made the customer feel better. I said, "Hey, listen, be glad it's not leaking on both sides." Can you imagine two headlamp assemblies, twenty six hundred dollars plus labor? Yeah. Wow. So, so the car's not worth that much, probably. $3,000 to put headlights in a Cadillac? <laughs> no, thank you. Not a better idea from the folks at General Motors. Like, what are they thinking? So, yeah, I'll ride the bus first. Yeah, it's uh, you know what? I'll strap a flashlight <laughs> okay, well, to the fender. Uh, thank you very much for the information. You're thank welcome, you. John. Good I luck to you, babe. No, oh, you're very welcome. If you, need, if you need us, you know where we are. Let's get over it. You know, it's, it's listen, i got to go back on that. Imagine that $1,300 for a headlamp for a... So I, I I take a mag light and glue it to the fender, and you know just <laughs> is that the future? Is that what it's going to come down to? So you know you look at technology; it's going completely. I got to tell you how bad technology is getting. I found my Monte Carlo. All right, it's 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 in Texas, and they're working on trucking and bringing it up. And we were talking about this, and somebody said to me, "But why a '72 Monte Carlo?" And I said, "Because it's got zero technology in it." All right. It's it's the last year before electronic ignition. In uh, in seventy three, they went electronic ignition. It was sort of a split year, and you know it was the car I went to college and all the reasons. But it's basic. It's points. It's carburetor. I hope I remember how to work on it. I started thinking about that the other day. Can I remember how to work on something purely mechanical? It's what I cut my teeth on, and now will I remember? Will I be able to go back forty years and remember all over again? So, plus I got to find all those tools. This could be a problem. Anyway. Before I go over to talk to Gerard in Green Bay, Wisconsin, let's pull over and take the pause at 855-560-9900. When we come back, we're going to find out, can I fix an 89 Olds Cutlass Sierra? Gerard, stay tuned. And the rest of you, don't go away. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and the Car Doctor at 855-560-9900. Let's get over and talk to Gerard, Green Bay, Wisconsin. Gerard, welcome to the Car Doctor. How can I help, sir? I have an 89 Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra with a 3.3 liter V6. Okay. Um, starts, runs good. It's only got 150,000 miles on it. Just broken and, in, uh, baby. It, yeah, I know. It's got a long life in it. Hopefully it lasts me till retirement. Yep. Okay, so problem is, is 
it's uh when i'm driving down the road i get a, a service engine light will come on and it'll start like it's uh getting too much gas so i had it ready to uh, i had my mechanic look at it he cleans the mass airflow sensor and same problem it hasn't gone it hasn't uh, improved at all okay. so I, I went online and it's a code 33 is the failure code. Right. And that, that says it's a map sensor, which I thought if it had a mass airflow, it wouldn't have a map sensor one or the other. But apparently that era they were putting a bolt on as a fail safe. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, there, and, there was something about that. There's something about that that rings true in my mind. Now also 33, I remember is an EGR fault. Back in the day, but I think that was at the 2.8 liter engine, not the 3.3. Okay. So, first of all, are you certain it's a 33? Yes. Okay. Um, beyond beyond the fault code itself, what has the mechanic done? Has anybody tried to diagnose it beyond what you're describing to me? Yeah, I thought it was more moisture related, like when it was snowing or raining out, that it would seem like it would act more, but. He, you know, he had it running, sprayed water all over the inside of it, see if he could get it to act up at all. Couldn't get it to act up. I mean, and it doesn't do it all the time. It's only occasionally. You know, it doesn't miss all the time. It's it's not doing that all the time. It's only sporadic. I mean, it might run good for 10 miles, and then it might run crappy for, you know, three misses, and then it runs good for another five miles. And so it's a real erratic problem. Can you get a code definition out of the scan tool? Uh, map sensor voltage too high. Okay, so what it's saying is, and I'm questioning whether this code is applicable to this car. I'm a little, okay. I'm, 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 there's something about this that there was also a lot of ghost codes in this era vehicle. Um, yeah, I, that's what that's what my mechanic said too. He yeah. said this is just really hard to read. Yeah, this is. Um, this is not this. This was the era when General Motors said, "Well, you're going to produce," because this was back when they were making scan tools, and it became a game of, "Well, we think this will work. We think that'll work." This is like Windows launching different versions of uh, the operating system, and then coming out a year later saying, "Yeah, it created some problems, so we made a new operating system, and here it is." And mm -hmm. it, this, this is exactly like that. So let's treat it like the code definition. If if this is truly a thirty-three then this is a problem, map signal too high. It's seeing the map signal return voltage. So there's three wires to a map sensor in English. There's, okay. a, there's a ground, there's a 5-volt reference, and there's a signal return. All right? So it's saying that at any given time, it saw that return voltage, the signal back to the PCM, exceed practical limits. So it, okay. if, if, for example, you're cruising along at 50 miles an hour on the highway and it saw it saw two volts, all of a sudden it spiked to five and a half, six or more. All right. Yeah. It, it saw an erratic signal change. And that's what's and that's what's and then it reacted to that and saw a and, you know, made that determination. And it, it sees that as a fault and sets the uh, turns on the uh, light and creates a code. Does it turn on a light? I didn't hear you say that. It, it does sometimes. Not always. What kind of scan? I mean, it, what, what kind of scan tool are you using to scan this, Gerard? Um, O'Reilly's has scanned it, and my mechanic scanned it, and I'm not sure what my mechanic used. Whatever O'Reilly uses. Okay, I'd be curious if they're both using the same scan tool. Mm -hmm. I would almost, I would almost want to go back 
you know, if they're using an OBD2, because here's the problem, all right, and I have seen this. If you're using a modern, for lack of a better term, modern OBD2 scan tool, mm-hmm. but if you rolled into the shop and I had a scan in 89 Olds Cutlass Sierra, I wouldn't use any of my OBD2 stuff. I've got, I've got my, I've, the only reason I've got my OTC Monitor 4000 sitting out on the bench collecting dust is because that was the tool for that era, and it was a, sure. it was a proven brick. It was as reliable as they came, and if it told me it was a 33, I'd believe it. All right, so okay. I would want to go back and ask the mechanic, hey, scan this with something old, not something new. Okay, and and see what we're really getting. All right. Now, if I want to diagnose this without using a scan tool, yeah, and it's an intermittent. One of the things yep. one of the things I would do is I would ask your mechanic to look for the PCM, look for the powertrain control module, look to okay. see look to see where it is. If memory serves me right, it's going to either be behind the glove compartment on the right side inside the vehicle. Okay, I think that's where it is, or it's going to be out front in the driver's side wheelhouse somewhere. If the okay. if the last three digits of that PCM are 728, 729, or 730, I'd bet it's a bad PCM. And I'll tell you okay. why. Because this was the era when General Motors had problems with the solder joints on the circuit boards. Okay. And they would create all kinds of intermittent running and hiccup issues. And I bet if you took that PCM down, and I think it's I think it's by the glove box. Well, I hope I can remember how to work on the seventy two Monte Carlo this good. So I think <laughs> I think I think it's by the glove box. And I think if you flat palm the PCM, just give it a I bet you it shuts off. All right. Okay. Give that a try. Give those two things a try. Call me back next week. Okay. Right. Thank you. Cool beans, Gerard. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the name the Car Doctor. Let's get over real quick and talk to Lee in Weston, Vermont. Lee, welcome to the Car Doctor. How can I help? Well, I, I sent you that email on how do you check tire pressure when one day it's 10 below zero, the next day it's 20, and who the hell knows what it's going to be the third day. Well, short of moving to Vermont, I mean, short of moving to, from Vermont to Florida, Lee, the answer becomes here's an example where maybe nitrogen in the tires might help. Nitrogen, you know, the reason the industry has gone to nitrogen, and I'm not a proponent of nitrogen. I think it's, I think it's an expensive alternative that I, I just can't justify in my mind. But perhaps using nitrogen in the tires, because nitrogen doesn't react to temperature swings as radical as, you know, normal, normal air, that it might maintain a more even pressure. Would it be able to deal with 60 degrees on Monday and 20 degrees on Tuesday? I don't know that answer. All right, and I'm sure one of the chemists out in the audience will be glad to send me an email and explain it to me with Mr. Wizard Technology. But, uh, you know, it, it just becomes a giant pain in the patootie. 
all right, with these temperature swings. But the question I've got is, how do we all deal with this as a nation 30 years ago or 35 years ago? Because right now, the temperature swings are driving tire pressure monitoring systems crazy. And exactly like you're describing it, here, here and even in northern New Jersey, one day it's 65 degrees, we're wearing T-shirts and sweatshirts walking around the shop, and the next day it's it's 15 degrees out, and we're bundled up wearing jackets and sweaters, and, you know, it's not doing the tire pressure monitoring systems any good. They're seeing that temperature change. The laws of physics don't change. It's one degree for, it's one pound for every 10 degree of change. So, you know, best answer I've got, perhaps nitrogen might be a cure because it won't be as reactive to the temperature swings. But then you're subject to, every time you go to put air in those tires, you've got to find somebody that's got a nitrogen fill station because you can't contaminate it and use sometimes oxygen, regular air, sometimes nitrogen because then it depletes the efficiency of the nitrogen. So good luck, Lee, and I hope you find an answer. I'm Ron Anning, the car doctor. Wow, what a quick hour. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See you.